With that, let's pray, and then we're going to um, look at the message here today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come to you. You hear us because of our relationship with your Son, Jesus. We are grateful for that. And by your Spirit who indwells us, we are able to speak to you. And you speak to us. And so right now, I am asking that you would give me the words to share. But I also pray that you would give us the ears and the heart to hear. So, Lord, be glorified in this time that we share together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. At this time, I'm going to invite Cayman up here. I asked Cayman if he would come give me a hand this morning, and he said that he would. He was actually, he's actually on sound, but um, thanks to Malachi, he's going to make sure that things are okay up there. So this is Cayman, um, Headland, and he's, he's here, always here, and we appreciate Cayman. And I said, Cayman, would you just help me out this morning? And he said, sure. So I've actually seen Cayman at least three times this weekend. So I <laughs> saw so him Friday night, Saturday night, and now this morning. And I'm probably going to see you again tonight. We're going to make it four because we're going to the same party later today. I think we're gonna, we'll see each other again. So this last week, you went um, to the mountains, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay, you guys went on a family vacation, and um, I'm glad you guys could get away. Uh, you went snow skiing, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you enjoy snow skiing? Now you do. Was this your very first? I realize I'm not having you speak into a microphone, but do you, do you enjoy it? Like, have you gone before? Or? Oh, this is your very first time. Wow. Good for you. Okay, well, so I brought some things along here, and I hope that you're okay. I would just like you to put these things on. Would you do that this morning for me? It would at least bring great joy to my heart. <laughs> so if, if you're going to go snow skiing... You need a scarf. Oh, All right? I mean, it, it helps. You don't always... I mean, so some people, back in the 90s, we used to have this, like, scarf thing that just, like, suctioned up to your neck, and you would, like, put it on over yourself and then pull it up, okay? But this is actually my own scarf. I've had this for about 15 years, and I wear this when I go snow skiing, okay? It looks really good on you. Um, this here is... Um, I, I don't know. This is what I came across this morning in my... In the closet, okay? Cayman, would you wear this as well? Because you need to cover your head, <laughs> okay? So, and I don't know if it's... <laughs> I was like, Kelsey, is this um, a kid's one? Or, well, probably, obviously, it's a kid's one. Is, is it, like, made for an adult or not? She's like, I don't know. Just give it to Cayman. He'll do great with it, okay? So, <laughs> um, okay. And then if, if you go, snow skiing, it always helps if you have something on your hands, right? Because those can get kind of cold. Never good when you don't want cold hands and you don't want cold feet. All right? So let's, let's see if those... And you do have big hands there, but see, are those working okay? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, and then I, I've got just one more thing. And there's obviously more that you probably want, but my Trader Joe's bag... Back down over there. Get some goggles on you, okay? So let's, let's see if we can... Those good? Okay, do you need help with this? 
Okay, Cayman, I'm actually going to have you step up over this way. <laughs> Sorry, this is just because... <laughs> Just because my daughter's going to take a picture of you. <laughs> and this is going to be on Instagram this week, okay? So I just... <laughs> so I think it's only fair that you're over here, okay? So, Cayman, the only reason I'm having you do this is because this morning, the text that I'm going to be talking about, looking at, it, it is a passage which tells us to put certain things on. And, and I, I really want you to be the visual image of us putting things on. And, and part of me is tempted to have you stay up here the whole time. <laughs> but that wouldn't be good because that would be a distraction. Um, so, Kayman, you did great, and thank you for your help. I'm going to let you head on down. You can take that stuff off over there. You probably should take it off because if you don't, you might be a distraction to me. Okay, so <laughs> thank you, Kayman. All right, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is the book that we are going through. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and I am going to be on page 828. 828, and you are welcome to follow along with me there. Let's work through these verses together, and and as I usually do, I'm going to just break these verses up here, okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, let's, let's look at verses 17 through 19 here. It says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Stop there. I've read this this passage at least a dozen times this last week, just trying to let it soak in. Um, The very first time that I went through and, and read this passage this, this, I actually read it on Monday morning. That's usually when I just remind myself of where I'm going. I read it, and the very first thought I had was, this reminds me of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Now, we've already gone through that, and you don't have to necessarily turn there, but recall that it was, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin. It, it goes back and it says, hey, this is who you used to be. This is how life used to define you. But God, that's what it says. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, has made you alive in Christ. You're saved by grace. And you are saved to do good works. Okay? So there's there's this change. This is who you once were. This is who you now are. And and I I kind of sense this pattern here again where where Paul is saying, Hey, I I tell you and I insist on it 
that, that you shouldn't, you, I, you must not live like you used to live. Like this is how you used to live. This is how you were defined. And, and how, how were we defined? It said that we were, says you must no longer live like the Gentiles. Ouch. Isn't that almost a little bit hard to hear? I'm a Gentile. And many of you are probably Gentiles too. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. When the word Gentile is used in Scripture, it it means one of two things. It either is referring to ethnicity. It's, It's speaking in an ethnic sense. Or other times it is speaking in a moral sense. And if you simply look at the context here, it helps us understand exactly how Paul is referring to this. Because he says, don't live like the Gentiles. They are the ones who are separated from the life of God. We are talking about don't live like Gentiles in the moral sense. Meaning, don't live like people who don't know God. Don't live like that. People who have rejected God, they are separated from God. This is how I was myself until I came to trust in Christ as my Savior. This is the same for you. Don't live like the Gentiles. And and Paul goes on here and he says, he says that they are, let me just read it. Don't, don't live like the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. Why? Because of their ignorance. There is ignorance. They don't know. But did you catch this? Why is there ignorance? Did, did you hear it here? There is ignorance, but it's for a particular reason. Why is there ignorance? Because the heart is hard. So John Stott is a theologian, contemporary theologian. And he kind of finds it this way. This passage here, he says, hardening of the heart leads to darkness, he would say. And darkness is what leads to deadness, spiritual deadness. And spiritual deadness is what leads to recklessness. What what does he mean by recklessness? He means what it says here. They give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Never satisfied. But how do we get there? How do we get to this point where I I just, all I care about is me, me, me. All I care about is sensuality. How do I get there? It all begins with the hardening of the heart. When our hearts grow hard, God can't get through. Now, God can cause things into our life which cause us to perhaps make our hearts a bit softer and seek Him. But if our hearts remain hard, 
I believe that God is a gentleman in the sense that he says, okay, you have a hard heart, so be it. Your heart will be hard. And it leads to darkness and to deadness and recklessness. And we see this here in this passage. So what is, what is the solution to fighting recklessness? What is the solution to giving in to all sorts of sensuality? It begins with a soft heart. If my heart isn't soft, I mean, God is creator. So I say this with all due respect, but if my heart is not soft, good luck, God. I can just become so hard-hearted, so stubborn, resistant to God, that I make it impossible for him to get through. Church, and I put myself here, don't get there. Don't allow your heart to become so hard towards God that he cannot get through. Or if you are his child, don't allow your heart to get so hard towards him that he will pursue you to get through to you. And it's not going to be pretty because you are his child. And he's not going to just give up on you and say, well, that's it. He will fight for you. But if you are hard-hearted, I'm telling you, it's not going to be pretty. Come to him with a soft heart. For those of us, as we grow older, this becomes hard. I believe this becomes harder, actually, as we grow older. Why? Because when we are younger, we are taught to submit. We're in school. We have teachers. We have parents. We are taught to respect. When we grow older, we become the authority. And sometimes we try to usurp the authority of God and we try to put ourselves above God and we say, I will do what I want to do. Nate will do what Nate wants to do. Don't do that. Don't go there. Bring yourself under the Lord. Come to him with a soft heart. If our hearts grow hard, it leads to darkness and deadness and recklessness. And we see this here. I need to move on. The next portion here. Look at verses 20 through 24. You, however, catch this. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him. Surely you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, we are, we are called to put off the old self and we are called to put on the new self. Again, Cayman, 
put these things on. I want you to put these things off. I want you to put these things on. It is really hard for us to put on the things that he's going to tell us to put on if we don't first put off the old stuff. If we don't first put off the old self. I think there's too many believers that want to put everything on. I just want to put it all on. I would rather just allow my old flesh to keep putting these things on. I don't want to shed this stuff that I deal with that he's going to address here. I would rather just temper that. And I would rather put on these other things and hope that those other things will disappear. No, put these other things off. Put them to death. Recognize them as wrong. Recognize them as sin. Put them off. If you don't put them off, you're going to have a really hard time putting on the things that the Lord tells you to put on. Now, I, I want to hear from you. This part is a little bit more interactive. I actually want to hear from you or at least have you raise your hand here. If you have a relationship with God, that comes when we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, correct? Yes. I, I want to know from you, when did you place your faith in Jesus? So I'm, I'm just curious, show of hands, how many of you placed your faith in Jesus before you were 10 years of age? I'm just curious. Okay, there's a good majority of you, like 70%, just a guesstimate right now. Okay? Okay, how many of you placed your faith in Jesus between, say, 11 and 20? Okay, so like preteen, uh, teen. Okay, wow, how cool. I love, I love seeing that. Okay, now... Um, how many of you placed your faith, like, say, 20-ish to about 40? Okay, I, I, love, I love seeing this. this. This is so cool because it's a reminder that God continues to work, and I, God always continues to, to work. Okay, how about this last one? Have you placed, anyone placed their faith in Christ after age 50? Or, uh, sorry, after 40, because that's where we left off. Okay, okay. Uh, th- about three. Okay, so the numbers get smaller, didn't they? That that's kind of typical. Um, but I, I love this that God never stops working. He never stops working. So whether you place your faith in Christ at age five or fifty-five doesn't matter. But here's here's where I'm going with this. Think back to when. You placed your faith in Jesus. Are you there? You just raised your hand. Okay, no one ever said to you, okay, I would like to teach you about Jesus and sensuality. <laughs> of course not, right? No, no one ever did that. That's not going to happen, is it? No one ever said, hey, I would like to teach you about Jesus, and I'd like to teach you how to have a hard heart. No, that doesn't happen. No one ever said, I would like to teach you about Jesus. I would like to lead you to place your faith in Jesus, and I want to teach you how to really cuss like a sailor. No no one ever did that. No. 
Now, why do I say that? Because we just read it. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Come on, guys. You didn't come to know Christ this way. He's talking about this old self. He's talking about the way of sensuality. You know, living for me. He's talking about that. Hey, when you came to know Christ, it wasn't about that. We weren't talking about that. We weren't teaching you that. You get this. No, all of this stuff is what led you to Christ. Because you knew that you were lost. Because you knew you couldn't keep your mouth clean. Because you knew that your heart was actually sinful. You knew how your mind worked. You knew your behavior. You knew that you were getting yourself in trouble over and over again. And God actually used that to say, Whoa, I need a Savior. That is exactly what God used to lead you to the cross. That's what God used to bring you to faith in Jesus. That's what led you to forgiveness. Paul says we are created to be like God. Did you catch that? We are created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. He says that here. The bottom of verse 24. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's he talking about when he says that? Created to be like God in righteousness. Meaning, what is morally right. It is the opposite of wickedness. I am called to righteousness. To moral rightness, which only can happen through the cross. And, and, and by the way, who gets to be the standard on this? It better be here. Because if it's not here, our standard is like this. I mean, if we're going to use culture to be the determining factor for what is righteous, <laughs> can you imagine that? I remember for me, um, when I was in high school, the word righteous. Dude, that's so righteous. Like that was, you know, that was an expression that we would use. Okay, well, who gets to determine what righteous is? And, it, and obviously, we meant nothing about what righteous actually means. God is a standard for righteous, He's the one who is righteous. He is the one who is morally pure. He sets the standard. And we are called to righteousness and we are called to holiness. What's holiness? Holiness is to be set apart. Remember when we started this series here on Ephesians? We looked at the culture. Remember how I said these believers that Paul was addressing we're living totally countercultural. Totally countercultural. Everything that Paul says here pretty well flies in the face of culture back then and today. And so they were called to be countercultural, set apart. Are, are you okay that God has called you and me to be holy? That means that we're called to be set apart. We are called to be different. We are called to be countercultural. 
Read on. Verses 26 and 27. Uh, No, sorry, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I need to start moving a little bit faster here, but, but Paul is saying, I want you to put these things off. And what's the very first thing he says? Put off deception. I want you to speak truthfully. And I like it that Paul is saying, he doesn't just say, hey, cut out the lion. Like, just stop lying. Okay, he, he, he basically says that too, but he, he gives more of an, a reason. He says, because we are all members of one body. Okay, so if we are members of one body, if we are going to dwell in unity, remember, he's been talking about that. You look at the verses before that we've, we've already looked at. We are to dwell on unity. How much unity can we have if we are going to be deceptive? If we're talking behind each other's backs, it's not going to happen. There will not be unity. The enemy will use that. He will divide. So he says, I want you to speak truthfully with each other. Um, Look at verses 26 and 27. In your anger, that's number two. So the very first is speaking truthfully. We're called to this. Second thing In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So anger is a second thing. Watch anger. Um, We have a tendency, and this is interesting because it says, in your anger, do not sin. So there is an anger that is not sin. Correct? Yeah. Uh, there, there, There are times where God has righteous anger. Jesus expressed righteous anger. Okay? Here's the problem. You and I... When we grow angry, almost always, it's not righteous anger. We don't do this very well. Um, we usually come uncontrolled. It, it's, we lose it. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Meaning, deal with your anger. And, and deal with it quickly. Don't just let it fester If you let anger fester, guess what happens? Verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. What happens when we let anger fester? I believe that we give the devil a foothold. An image that was presented to me um, years ago, and I I like it, was that of a workshop uh, bench. And um, if you have a workshop bench, or if not, you can maybe just picture a workshop bench. And the, the idea was to take the bench, which might have tools and Elmer's glue, wood glue and stuff like that, you know, on it, or take it and then clear off a spot. Don't do that. When you clear off a spot on the workbench, you are saying, devil, you can come work here. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't clear a spot on the workbench where you say, okay, devil, if you want, I'll let you work here. Guess what? When we allow anger to grip us, we're saying, devil, I'm willing to flirt with you. I'm willing to let you invade me. I don't believe that we get possessed. But I believe that we are making room 
for the devil to come and do his work. And he will get a foothold. He'll grab us. And it will be hard to release that. So don't create a spot. And, and you and I have a tendency of thinking, ah, anger is, you know, it's just, it's how we are. We're, we're, we're humans. Of course I'm going to get mad. Yeah, we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with anger. But submit this to the Lord and recognize that I am not allowed. God does not give me permission to just express my anger however I want. This is not of the Spirit. Understand that. Look on. Verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Next one he says, don't steal. Instead, here again, doesn't just say what not to do. Don't steal. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get busy with your own hands. I want you to actually work with your own hands. And then he says, don't just work with your own hands for your own self. Do this so that you can take care of those who have needs. You work so that God can use you to be a blessing to someone else. We can either avoid work completely. I don't want to work. I want a handout. I want someone else to take care of me. No, don't do that. We can go the other extreme and we can work really hard, but it's all for ourselves. And Paul is not advocating for that. He's saying, yeah, you work hard. You be a hard worker. But you be a hard worker so that you can be a blessing to someone else. Paul is calling us to that. God is calling us to that. Don't still. And by the way, this is where we can, as Christians, we can think, this is not an issue for me. I don't still. This is tax season. We are preparing our taxes. I am preparing my taxes right now. You have maybe already prepared your taxes. If not, you are going to prepare your taxes. This is a little way that the devil can kind of get in. We can try to fudge things, can't we? And God just says, don't still. Have the integrity to claim, tax-wise, what you need to claim. And I think there's other ways, too, where we might say, well, I, um, I don't think that's stealing. And maybe we really are stealing. I, I've got to move on here. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk, do not let any rotten, putrid talk come out of your mouth. Uh, when Paul used this word, it was the same word that was used to describe foul or rotting fish. The stench of foul or rotting fish is what he's saying. When, when your mouth is unclean, that's kind of a word picture of what's coming out. And he's saying, don't do that. Clean your mouth. Clean up your mouth. Verses uh, 30, 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Recognize that the Spirit of God can be grieved. How do we grieve the Spirit of God? By what we're just now looking at. When I grow angry, this grieves the Spirit of God. When I have unwholesome uh, words come out of my mouth, this grieves the Spirit of God. When I cave to sensuality, this grieves the Spirit of God. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Here is finally what you put on. Be kind. Be compassionate. And forgive each other. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other things that Paul would say we are to put on. But do you want to know what Paul is saying to the believers at Ephesus, but I believe just as much to us today? You put these other things off, and you put these things on. You put on kindness. You put on compassion, and you choose to forgive. Why can we forgive? Because I was forgiven. Because Christ forgave me. And because I was forgiven, I am called to forgive, but I am able to forgive. When I put it in that perspective, I understand that I can forgive. This is a hard list. And there is more that we are going to look at next week because he's not done. This is a hard list. This can make us feel exhausted even just in hearing this. I believe that we can try to do this on our own. And if we succeed in doing this on our own, then we become religious. And I do not like that. Because I believe if that's what happens, then we grow in arrogance. I did that. I was able to maintain my sexual purity. I was able to not give in to sensuality. I've been able to control my anger. I've been able to keep a clean mouth. I'm a pretty good guy. And if that's, my, if that's what I believe, then I, be, I really grow in arrogance. And pride and arrogance is extremely destructive. So I don't like that option. I believe the only way for us to work at this list is to begin with faith in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, this list is hard. This list is nearly impossible. I don't want to say nearly impossible because I believe that there are religious people who have said, I've mastered the list. Look at the Pharisees of Jesus' day. I mastered the list. I'm okay. 
And yet Jesus said, hey, your hearts are ugly. To, to work on this list, it begins at what we in the church call salvation. It, may, it begins at a point where we say, I come to understand that I need Jesus. I come to understand that I'm separated from God, my Father. I come to understand that, that the only way to God is through Jesus. I place my faith in Jesus. I acknowledge this. I confess my sin, my wrongdoing. I confess that to him. And, and he changes me. But guess what? This is the beginning. The beginning of the process. And now what do we do? The rest of our lives that God gives us, as long as God gives us breath. Here, we are in process. I haven't arrived and you have not arrived. We are in process. So guess what Jesus did? When he left, he gave us his spirit. Paul talks about his, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul talks about his spirit. He said, don't grieve him, but he's also said, you have been sealed with the spirit. You are sealed with the spirit until the day of redemption. He indwells you, and the spirit is here to work on you, to work in your heart, to cause you to actually have a soft heart. This is what the Spirit does. He works on us. And guess what? You are just like me. So there are moments where you are really frustrated. There are moments where you are really discouraged. I wish I was so much further along than what I really am. I am embarrassed by what I am struggling with. I wish that as a follower of Jesus, I was not struggling with that. Welcome to the club. Guess what? The Spirit does not give up on you. The Spirit continues to work on you. And the Spirit will continue to do this. He wants to mold you into the image of His Son. In the image of Jesus. He wants to do this to you. He wants to do this to me. Don't grow discouraged when you say, it's been 16 years and I think I should be further along. Or it's been 67, year, 67 years and I wish I was so much further along than what I really am. Don't give, up, don't give up. Continue to submit yourself to the Spirit. Don't change the standard. Call the standard for what it is. This stuff is wrong. This stuff is supposed to go from my life. This is what I put on. And by the grace of God, I am going to put this on today. By the grace of God, we are going to put this on today. Jesus has made this possible. He will continue to make this possible. No matter your age bracket, he will make this possible. And I trust that you are going to see growth here. Again, I have not arrived. I, our time is up, but when I, was in, when I was in high school, there was times where I was really discouraged by my own personal sin. And there were times where I seriously felt like giving up and saying, I'm thrown in the towel, I'm done. Because I cannot beat this. So I give up. That is exactly what the enemy 
wanted me to believe. That is exactly what the enemy wanted me to do. And by the grace of God, I continued on. I acknowledged my sin. God, I missed the mark again. And I get up again. And every time, God, I miss the mark again, and I get up. And I get up, and I get up, and I get up, and I get up. And again, I have not arrived, but there are certain things in high school that I dealt with. By the grace of God, I say this carefully, because I am not above and beyond anything that any high school student faces. So I say this carefully. But there are things that I was struggling with in high school that I am not struggling with to the same degree that I did back then. That is the grace of God. That is a spirit at work. The same spirit is at work in you, changing you, molding you into the image of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that your spirit indwells us The same Spirit who indwells us empowers us to live a life that is marked differently. Marked by kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And yes, there are other things that mark our life too, but these are the things that Paul reminds us of this morning. Lord, there are also things that we need to put off. And I trust that as I've been speaking that your Spirit has been speaking So if there is anything that we say, you know what, this actually hits a little bit close to home. God, may we have a soft heart. God, may our hearts be soft to acknowledge this, come to you, submit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.